today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. You may have heard that former Prime Minister Stephen Harper uh, has visited the West Wing of the White House. Uh, That's what he was doing yesterday on what for for a lot of us was an extended Canada Day uh, holiday. I mean, I know Canada Day was Sunday, but, you know, a lot of us were off yesterday. Uh, So where was he? He was at the White House. Uh, He visited yesterday and met with uh, the White House economic advisor, uh, though Harper did not confirm that meeting. There were pictures of him taken. Um, And of course, this meeting comes at a time of tension between the U.S. and Canada. So everybody's got a thought or an opinion on what might be going on. What was the purpose of that meeting? Uh, Was he was he sent there as an envoy by the Canadian government to, uh, you know, try to smooth things over? Uh, Was he there to stir up more? Nonsense? Not sure. I don't think it was either one of those. Uh, but the guy who probably uh, is best uh, at uh, being a pundit on this is Dr. Jack Cunningham, Program Coordinator and Interim Director of the Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History, Trinity College, Monk School of Global Affairs, University of Toronto. That's a lot of titles, Jack. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jamie. Good to be with you. All right. So let's get right to it on, on Harper's visit uh, to, mm-hmm. the West, to the West Wing yesterday. The conspiracy theorists will be having a heyday with this. You know, the left will be saying, oh, there's the, he's up to no good, he's meddling. Um, answer that one, first of all. Well, the conspiracy theorists are always with us, what, no, no matter how, uh, how innocuous the underlying reality may be. Uh, I do, it, is, it is worth pointing out that, uh, that Harper did not uh, clear his, uh, his trip with the, uh, the Canadian ambassador to Washington or even inform the ambassador to Washington of the trip, and that is standard procedure. So the uh, the way that this uh, that this visit was put together is is a bit unusual, and that uh, that may require a little bit of explanation. Uh, it's 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 possible that uh, that Harper actually wants uh, wants to uh, to distance himself some from the uh, the government, and and in fact not be seen as an envoy of of the Canadian government during his. Uh, during his uh, his visit, I, I wonder. You know, the the people on the left also, though, would be maybe concerned that um, that Stephen Harper sees things too much like Donald Trump sees things. Now, the reason I, I get at that is is because we really haven't we haven't heard Stephen Harper say too much about the trade war, which is not unusual. He's a former prime minister. You know, mm-hmm. they don't typically uh, jump into media scrums. Um, you know, discussing their philosophies with um, with the media of the day when there's a, a you know a sitting government in place, and it and it's and it typically is anti-Canadian to do that anyway. Um, well, histo- historically, it's certainly true that former prime ministers have rarely uh, intervened in public debates. There are a couple of exceptions: the uh, the elder Trudeau in the uh, the Meech Lake uh, constitutional discussions. And I believe former Prime Minister Mulroney had an op-ed in the New York Times around the time of the uh, 1995 Quebec referendum. But uh, but aside aside from that, you're you're right. It is uh, the exception rather than the rule for former prime ministers to inject themselves into the uh, into the public debate. So why was he there, Jack? Well, part of it uh, appears to have been a, a, a visit with uh, Lawrence Kudlow, uh, Trump's economic advisor. And uh, actually, uh, Harper and Kudlow have a lot in common. They are both uh, 
free trade, free market uh, conservatives. In fact, uh, Kudlow is enough of one that it's, uh, it's rather a surprise that he would go to work for a protectionist like Trump. Uh, one would argue that he'd have to compromise an awful lot of his core principles in order to do that. Uh, but uh, Harper was visiting with Kudlow. He, uh, I've, I've heard reports, I haven't seen confirmation of them yet, that he was meeting with uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton. And he also met, you may have seen the picture of this, with, uh, with a uh, deputy chair of the Republican National Committee, who's also uh, involved with the uh, the International Democratic Union, of which uh, Harper's ahead. It's sort of an alliance of uh, like-minded and center-right uh, political parties. Right, so they're out. Uh, Harper's sort of making his way. He's got a consultancy now. He's out making his way uh, around the world with, um, with colleagues uh, who think like he does. Um, and, you know, taking that message, I suppose, to any audience uh, globally that will hear it. Absolutely. He's also got a uh, book in the works uh, looking at uh, conservatism and uh, and populism on the uh, the contemporary scene. So um, <clears throat> who knows, perhaps he's uh, flogging his book in advance of its coming out. Oh, always. I mean, they probably <laughs> told him. They probably told him to do that. Business is business. Um, so the, the part that kind of sticks with me, like when I... It used to be easy to to think of, you know, conservatives all matching up. If you were a conservative and you had that that conservative philosophy, you you hung out with other conservatives. So a, a trip by a former conservative prime minister maybe to Washington, um, give or take the the you know the protocol of of running it through the Canadian government first aside. I normally wouldn't think too much about that. I wouldn't think that was such a big deal. But I, I look at Trump and I think, you know, his conservative base, they have created a monster for themselves. I mean, they wanted back in, they got in, but they got in with a guy who really doesn't fit their bill, does he? And, no, you know, no, Trump is not a free market conservative by any definition. No. He's, uh, he's an old fashioned protectionist, an economic nationalist. We haven't seen a president with his uh, with his uh, view of uh, of the economic realities of the global economy since at least uh, Herbert Hoover. And he is the most national nationalist, the most protectionist president in uh, in modern American history. And in that sense, he represents a departure not only from what uh, conservative American presidents have uh, have stood for, but what uh, what American presidents of both parties have advocated a, a relatively uh, liberal, multilateral uh, world uh, world trading order in which goods and people could move relatively freely. That's the kind of tradition, more traditional uh, conservative or Republican philosophy with which uh, past Republican presidents have been associated and with which uh, similarly inclined uh, Canadian politicians like Harper have been associated. So in that sense... Uh, Harper and uh, and Trump are uh, are not at all uh, peas in a pod. They have very different economic views. And you may recall in his recent uh, Fox interview, uh, Harper went out of his way to suggest that uh, Canada was the wrong target for Trump to pick if he was looking for uh, for a trade war. And he pointed out the falsity of the statistics surrounding this uh, this alleged uh, huge trade deficit that the United States has with Canada. 
which in fact does not exist. Right. I mean, Trump always casts a wide net and he's a generalist and he's and he doesn't educate himself and he says endless numbers of stupid things. My words, not yours. Um, And to bunch Canada in with, for example, China is just it's pure insanity. Um, Mm -hmm. Dr. Jack Cunningham is my guest, uh, Monk School of Global Affairs, University of Toronto. Uh, Jack, um, you know, again, there are going to be those here in Canada who are are going to on social media and on talk shows like this one a debate whether or not Harper should have done that and should he have visited Washington um, you know sort of flying under the radar uh, if you will of the sitting Canadian government um, do you think he did something wrong well we won't really know until we see uh uh, records, or at least uh, informed journalistic accounts of the, uh, the conversations that took place on his visit. One possible silver lining is uh, is this: uh, people around Trump, like uh, like John Bolton, like Larry Kudlow, they're probably not going to pay a great deal of attention to Justin Trudeau. They would see him as uh, wishy-washy and uh, and a leftist, and so on. And uh, they would find somebody like Harper much more to their taste. Um, from at least from the uh, the same general uh, part of the ideological spectrum as they're from, and if uh, if Harper is down there to uh, to try to uh, argue against uh, a trade war between the United States and uh, and Canada, uh, people like uh, like Cudlow and uh, and Bolton, and remember this, uh, these steel and aluminum tariffs were initially defended on grounds of national security, which is uh, part of. Uh, which is really uh, Bolton's, uh, Bolton's purview as national security advisor. If Harper is going down there to argue against a trade war, uh, he, he might get more of a hearing from these guys than, uh, than perhaps Justin Trudeau would. And that would be the possible silver lining of a, uh, a, Harper, uh, a Harper visit. But again, we, uh, we just won't know until we uh, have a better idea what took place during these, uh, during these uh, conversations. Right, and and Harper went on uh, Fox News uh, on the weekend and and kind of delivered a message back to the American media and the American people that you know he's not in favor of what's what's going on and that this isn't a good thing for for either country. Um, having said that, Jack, uh, uh, we have uh, Sarah Sanders uh, standing up and and for the first time I I think or the first time I've heard her say this or the American government say this through her that. At the G7, apparently, Trump said at the G7, we should just get rid of all tariffs and just open the markets wide and have no tariffs at all. Why, why am I just hearing this for the first time? Did I miss something here? Was I asleep? Well, that, uh, that account of what happened at the, uh, the G7 is not necessarily the, uh, the reality. I've seen different accounts that, uh, that vary considerably. Uh, it, it's it's interesting that while Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump and spokesman for his administration like to chastise Canada for uh, for measures like our, uh, our our supply management in dairy products, and that's something I'm not going to defend. I think it really is indefensible public policy. Uh, they the Americans subsidize agriculture to an even greater extent than we do, so they are worse protectionists than us when it comes to. Uh, Agriculture. I would. I would be surprised if uh, if Mr. Trump had actually uh, made a serious case for uh, for getting rid of uh, wow. of all tariffs. It uh, it would fly in the face of his uh, his long established convictions that uh, 
that protectionism is uh, is the way to go, and that the United States is being taken advantage of by its by its trading partners under these uh, these various uh, free trade agreements. The guy just makes it up uh, as he goes along on uh, minute to minute, quite quite literally, day to day. No, you know, very little of what he says, you know, can be made sense of a lot of the time. It's, it's well, he does he does contradict himself, and he often changes his tune on issues, and he has no trouble saying one thing and five minutes later saying the yeah. thing the opposite. But one element of consistency in his uh, in his policy is the. Uh, the protectionism. You go, you go, you go back thirty years. You look at the uh, the newspaper ads he signed. You look at the public positions he's taken, and he's a dyed-in-the-wool protectionist. Uh, and uh, to the extent that he has any core convictions, protectionism would be one of them. Does, so does, it's hard to believe he would just he would just offer to abandon that. Yeah, and if this and if this guy were were not sitting as the president of the United States, if he were the leader of of uh, of, of another country anywhere in the world. Um, we would be calling him a, a lunatic and, you know, people would be on the air, you know, while the, the medical officials won't ever make a diagnosis of somebody, it's against their, their ethics, they can't do that, but everybody knows this guy's nuts. How, mm-hmm. how, how deep is the damage that this guy has caused on the international stage at this, at this point, Jack? Um, you know, if we're, if we're keeping some sort of a, a tally, uh, what's the tote board saying about this guy in terms of... Uh, um, you know, global damage that he's caused. Well, the tote board isn't saying anything very encouraging. I mean, he's uh, he's shaking the faith of our uh, our, our, G, our G7 uh, uh, colleagues in uh, in the durability of that institution. He has uh, shaken uh, NAFTA. You know, uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's unclear exactly what the status of that agreement is. He is uh, reputed to have said at the uh, the recent G7 that NATO is as bad as NAFTA. And he certainly made a lot of statements suggesting that he views that arrangement as well with a great deal of misgiving. Uh, he has really thrown into doubt the entire uh, post-war uh, economic and security architecture of the, uh, of, the, of the multilateral system. And that's something that, uh, that's, going to, uh, that's going to have re- profound reverberations over the years to come. Where, where it'll uh, shake out, uh, I, 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 I could only guess. All right, Dr. Jack Cunningham uh, with the Monk School of Global Affairs, uh, University of Toronto. Uh, Thanks very much for your time today, Jack. Uh, Great conversation. Thanks for giving us some perspective. All right. Thank you, Jamie. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Where are the crappiest roads in Hamilton? Never mind what the official surveys say. You drive these streets every, every single day. Where are the crappiest roads that you can't stand driving where maybe you have to drive them every day because that's your route to work whatever and you just and you know where the potholes are you know where the bad spots in the road are you know where the bumps and hills and valleys are where are they 905-645-3221 star 9900 as you know hamilton's uh, burlington street has you know earned a reputation for being um you know ontario's one of ontario's worst roads for for a while um, and it is, um, you know, it's at the top of the list for the second year in a row. Uh, Councillor Sam Marula says the city's done its best, uh, the best it can to improve the road, and that approximately $30 million is planned for investments and in projects for Burlington Street and Industrial Drive until 2027. Um, it's one of those things. 
You know, a lot of trucks on that road, a lot of traffic. You know, there's, what are you going to do? But I haven't, I, I got to admit, I meant to, when I was working with Liz Russell on discussing this story on the air today, I meant to take a little spin down Burlington Street, but I didn't get there. Joining us on the line is Raymond Chan. His title includes Worst Road Spokesperson and Government Relations Specialist with CAA South Central Ontario. Raymond, how the heck do you get a title like Worst Road Spokesman? I love that. Well, if you've been nominated uh, for two consecutive years like Burlington Street East has, I mean, you, you, you've obviously got that honor for a reason, and the people of Hamilton have spoken, and the people of Ontario have said uh, that Burlington Street East is the worst road in the province this year. Yeah, but I'm talking about your title. How do you get the title oh, of worst road spokesper- <laughs> spokesperson? Well, That's well, outstanding. I love that one. It, it definitely involves a lot of driving around and, and, and looking at potholes across the province, for sure. I've done my fair share of that. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, we're kind of giggling here. I, I, you know, I, I guess it's a serious matter because potholes can cause serious damage to your, to your automobile. Um, do your members take it pretty seriously? They do. I mean, we hear from our membership uh, constantly about the damages that their vehicles suffer um, when, when they're traveling on roads across our province. I mean, it could be anything from damaged rims, or it could be uh, misalignment of your vehicle, or it could be uh, your shocks that are thrown out of whack, or even simply blown out tires and rims. I mean, all that is very costly for motorists and costly for your pocketbook in the end. So um, definitely proper maintenance of potholes and repairs is uh, certainly a priority for our membership and, and, and is a priority for the public as well. Do you have any ability to, to pressure municipalities to, uh, to fix them up? Well, we try to through this campaign, and it's not necessarily about pressure. It's really about providing um, a voice to the public. And What we found in the past is that uh, the public has contacted us and they've let us know, you know, gee, I really don't know um, who I can send this complaint to, who I can talk to about um, a concern that I have in my community when it comes to a road. So whether it be a pothole or it would be um, uh, missing or confusing road signs or simple traffic congestion along a particular street, they simply didn't know where to turn to, which is why we started this campaign 15 years ago, to provide the public with a voice, um, to air out some of their frustrations, and for us to have those conversations with government and let them know what the public is saying about their particular roads. So this is really a road-shaming campaign is what it is. It's a gigantic road-shaming campaign. I mean, if you can't... If you can't, if the constituency can't get the council to act, then you do a PR campaign where you tell, you share all your dirty laundry publicly with everybody, and it embarrasses you to, to into action. I, first of all, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's what well, we're doing here, right? So, so it's a highlighted campaign. I mean, what what we try to do here at the CA each year with this campaign is really to um, motivate the public to uh, to let us know what their angers and frustrations are with their daily commute and. Uh, you know, who, who better really to tell us about what some of those concerns are on, on their daily commute than the actual people that use the roads each and every day to get to and from work or school or wherever it is that you're going. So it, it's really a chance for them to air out those concerns and then for us to um, bring those concerns back to government and, and to start those conversations about how do we get more dedicated funding towards infrastructure improvements. So when the results come in of the survey, uh, do you guys look at it and go, Okay, uh, Raymond, we better send you out there uh, and to drive that street just to confirm these results. Or do you accept uh, the, the the word of people? Because you know how people are, and you know what kind of world we're in. We're in we're in an election meddling world. People meddle with data all the time, and they find ways to 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 get votes in for certain streets. Or do you actually go out and drive these roads to confirm what the you know what the polls telling you? 
So we do. I mean, we look at uh, past trends and in previous years as well to see uh, what roads have uh, traditionally uh, appeared on our top 10 list. But we do go out and uh, work with our partners at the Ontario Road Builders Association to help uh, verify uh, the accuracy of the data that we do receive from the public. And they provide us with a checklist and an assessment of uh, what the condition of the road is um, and and make some uh, necessary recommendations as well that we then and we then and there pass along to uh, to government and let them know where some of those concerns along the roadway are. What what are the main determinants of a road falling apart? I'm, I said you know just general traffic use, heavy trucks, that kind of thing. Is that is that correct, or is it the materials that are used to pave the road? What do we know about that? Well, it's a combination of lots of things. I mean, certainly heavy traffic, and 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 when it comes to uh, truck traffic, especially along a road like Burlington Street, it, it, it can certainly have a detrimental effect on the road and uh, the uh, long-term and uh, everlasting uh, issues with respect to that road can, can certainly crumble a lot quicker. But it does come down to the materials and the sciences and uh, the, the, type of, um, the type of material that actually does go into the roadway and, and, and the quality of the asphalt or the concrete or the pavement or whatever it may be. Um, the types of contractors and the types of materials that go into that roadway certainly uh, says a lot about how long uh, that particular roadway will last um, when it stands up to things like the weather. All right, Raymond Chan, Worst Road Spokesperson and Government Relations Specialist with CAA South Central Ontario. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us here this afternoon. Thanks, Jamie. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Believe it or not, the technology exists now uh, to be able to create a completely fake uh, video online uh, with people who hold powerful positions or influential, influential positions in, uh, in our society. And it's quite, it's quite frightening uh, to think that, you know, we used to say, well, that's been photoshopped. You know, that was, that's the line. It's uh, that picture was, it's fake. It's been photoshopped. You know, they moved somebody's face over the real person's face or whatever. And now it's happening with, um, with online videos. The technology uses facial mapping and artificial intelligence to produce videos that appear so genuine. It's hard to spot the phonies. And, you know, imagine if you're a conspiracy theorist to begin with. And you see something that you buy as real, and then you start spreading it around to your other conspiracy theorist, you know, buddies, and on and on. You can see how this could get, you know, this could be a dangerous thing. U.S. lawmakers and intelligence officials worry that the bogus videos called deep fakes could be used to threaten national security or interfere in elections with good reason. All right. So here's the sound of a video published by BuzzFeed showing former U.S. President Barack Obama, but with actor Jordan Peele's words coming out of his mouth. This is the audio of that. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time. Yeah, I get Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I'm listening to it going, nah, that's not Barack. But if I didn't know ahead of time that this was a fake piece of audio, and... Uh, and I was highly impressionable, maybe I would buy it. Can we run it again? Can you cue it up again? I'll ask Luke to, to cue it up again. All right, let's hear it again. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time. It's not bad. 
you know, it's not bad. And depending on what you're listening to it on, and I guess if you're seeing video uh, of the former president's face all synced up, lip synced to it, you would probably buy it. I think the visual would definitely add to the fakeism of it or the believability of it, certainly. Um, what do you think about this? 905-645-3221 or, uh, or star 9900, telephone numbers to call. Uh, does, this, does this worry you at all? I think it's a. I think it's creepy and very frightening. Derek Sardo is the president of Rolling Thunder. He's a guy with his pulse, uh, his finger on the pulse of all of these types of things. Has been for years. Derek, welcome back to the program. Thank you, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, but I'm sitting here thinking: Is this the real Derek Sardo, or is this a deep fake? I'm well, not sure. This is not a deep fake. This is the true Derek Sardo. And, and this has a, been a been a thing for a long time, and it's just recently hit the media, and it's starting to be used. The AI is getting better. I always knew it as digital impersonation. Is that what it, that was the term that you were more familiar with? Digital impersonation. Correct. And and let yeah. me ask you this: Was it obvious in the in the old days, so to speak, that these were fake videos? Like, did did anybody well, look yeah, at them and go, you know, the technology's come so far? Uh, that it's getting more and more believable. And in fact, if you do some searches on the net, you will see some incredible things where you have to really, really look to know, to know that it's not real. Um, uh, there was one post that I really like, and, and, and this topic says, if anything is real, then nothing is real. Hmm. <laughs> Think about that one. Yeah, that's heavy. It is. That is heavy. So, so yes, uh, this is something we need to be concerned about. Um, again, uh, we've seen things like uh, written fake news. No big deal, right? You just got to trust the source, and and uh, and has it been doctored? We don't know. Then we moved into, uh, like you said, Photoshop, where you could Photoshop pictures or, or of people and uh, situations, and those were usually discernible. Again, those are way better. Now we're hitting the era of video, and that's when it really becomes uh, something that hits home that says, if I can make anybody say anything, what can I do with that? Right. So so the question that I would have is, is you know, maybe this is my, my reporter background in me. It's how do we discern what's real and what, and what isn't? Is there a way, Derek, uh, you know, technology technologically speaking that would allow somebody who's smart with this stuff like you and some of your colleagues to be able to uh, unwind that thing and be able to say oh here's the marker that shows that this thing's been tampered with that it's not the real deal so the answer to that is we don't have good quality tools right now that hmm. can discern that that's frightening we're using we're using the human eye to f- figure that out. Now, I'm sure that that's going to be high on, on radars for the governments because they're going to have to come up with something that can, um, you know, feed a video into it and say, yes, this is, this is original, it's, this is doctored. Yeah, something that would show, be able to show through, I don't know, some sort of digital pattern that this doesn't match that or whatever. I don't, I don't know what that would be, but you would, you would think that somebody out there, as you said, has the billion-dollar idea uh, or ability maybe uh, on the horizon to, you know, unveil these things. This is not new, though, right? Fake fake videos, I mean, or fake information. You, you said you can write fake news. Sure you can. But people also, I understand, 
are able to write fake texts and attribute them to other people. Is that is that true? Absolutely. We can. Uh, That's spoof, scary. Uh, spoof, spoof where it's coming from. So. Looks like it's coming from a cell phone number, um, but it's actually not coming from that cell phone. There's lots of ways to do spoofing. Uh, again, where we really have to figure this out is is, is uh, how easy this is to do. You can have a home computer and make a very convincing video with some of the tools out there. Um, most popular one is probably uh, an app called Fake App where what it does is it takes um, uh, AI. We've talked a lot about AI. I've, I've spoken to it for the last 10 years, and it's finally coming. You know, AI is in everything that we do, in, in our home automations, in our cars. and, and yeah. uh, Artificial intelligence, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, uh, artificial intelligence. And w- what that really does, it's, it's machines. It's computers that uh, learn the algorithms and then um, chunk through... Uh, what we call big data, giant inf- um, amounts of information. So, let's say you're taking uh, you're taking uh, uh, Trump, and you're going to put uh, Trudeau uh, in there. So you can actually face swap, and there's tools that'll do that. So what it'll do is it'll go out to the internet, it'll find all the pictures of Trump, all the video of Trump. It'll go out to the internet, find all the videos and and pictures of, of Trudeau. And what it's, what it's doing is now saying, take one video and swap faces. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable where we're going. Uh, Derek Sardo, uh, president of Rolling Thunder, um, I'm sure we'll uh, be talking about uh, these types of things in, uh, in on increasing uh, frequency in the days ahead. Appreciate you taking a few minutes to be with us today. Thanks for this. Anytime. Take, take care. You bet. Bye for now. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Ugh, that's scary stuff. It really is. The technology is is getting... And when he said that they don't have any tools yet, other than your eye and ear, to be able to determine whether something's authentic or not, that's a deep fake, that, to me, that is the truly frightening part about this. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.